Fill in the blank. I am here because blank invested in me. I am here because blank invested in me. How many of you, just by show of hands, are thinking of a family member? And how many, a pastor? Uh, how many of y'all, is it a volunteer in a ministry or an organization somewhere? Right. And how many of y'all, is it just a friend? Nice. It's a remarkable thing, the kind of impact and influence these people can make on our lives. And they, they continue to exercise on our lives, even if we don't see them all the time. And I think, actually, if we stop to think about it, even for a little bit, we would realize uh, that these people actually had a greater impact than we're really paying attention to even right now, and that they weren't working alone, that they had people who were investing in them, and that they were working alongside other people, maybe they didn't necessarily know it, and that we're part of this great cloud of witnesses, this great chain of people that God has used and continues to use in our lives to lead us, to make us into the people that he's called us to be, and we need to be people who remember that so that we can go forward and become those kinds of people. Turn with me to 2 Timothy. Uh, in a, a book or on a device, 2 Timothy. Uh, the words won't be behind me because I think it's worth looking stuff up. Uh, we're going to be in 2 Timothy chapter 1, at verse 3. And if you don't have a Bible and you want to get one, talk to me about it afterward. And we would love to get you a Bible. 2 Timothy 1, verse 3. We're continuing in our series, Strong Biblical Women. I am grateful to God, whom I worship with a clear conscience as my ancestors did, when I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. Recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that lived first in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and now I am sure lives in you. For this reason, I remind you to rekindle the gift of God that is within you through the laying on of my hands. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. When we were kids, I remember my mom was always on the clock. Always on the clock as our mom. And don't get me wrong, she was busy. She worked a full-time job and did a lot around our house. And yeah, cooked and cleaned and... She was a champion, uh, but she was always on the clock as our mom, and so we could interrupt her when she was writing something, or she would take us to work, and we would bother her and get in the way of meetings, because she had three boys, and we never stopped moving. You've seen my sons. That's the same. It's the same genes. We just never stopped moving. We would sit with her and chat with her while she was working on dinner. She was just always on the clock, with one exception. If you woke up early, if you woke up early enough, and I remember this going really far back, like elementary school. There was some day that the sun got up too early, and so I got up too early, and came out and found that my mom was already awake and sitting in a beat-up, navy blue leather recliner and reading her Bible. And she said, hey, not right now. Go to the other room. I didn't say anything. Just, no, go away. And uh, yeah, years later, uh, it was junior high, and I think there was some weird field trip, and, and I woke up early, and there was my mom in the chair reading her Bible. Hey, don't bother me. Go be quiet in the other room. Preemptive. Accurate. Years later, post-college, uh, I woke up really early because I needed to, I was going hiking, I think, and there was my mom in the same chair, same position I'd left her decades earlier, same time of day, doing exactly the same thing. 
And those are pretty ordinary moments. And I don't think they were particularly significant at the time. But as I remember, as I look back, I wonder how much of an impact they made on me. Because it occurs to me as a dad that I'm pretty good at talking about Jesus and talking about following Jesus. But my kids are going to watch what I do. And not just my kids, but my non-Christian friends and neighbors. And not just them, but you. You'll watch what I do. You'll listen to what I say, but you'll watch what I do. You can't fake that kind of consistency. You can't fake that kind of faithfulness. I'm reminded of a sincere faith, Paul says. And that word sincere in Greek is related to the word for hypocrite, so it's an anhypocritical faith. I'm reminded of a, of a faith that's not an act, it's not pretend. It's not a show, it's real, it's genuine. It's not just there some Sundays, it's not just there when you're around Christians or particular family members, it's not just there when you're in trouble and you're really hoping someone is real and listening. It's all the time, it's the core of who you are. I'm reminded of a sincere faith, he said. And he's writing, Paul is writing to Timothy, who's reading this, to encourage him. And I think I could use the same encouragement, because it's hard to believe sometimes that we have that kind of faith going on inside of us. I think we've seen it in other people, but hard to believe that it's, it's made its way into our lives. And Paul is so confident that it's made its way into our lives, because he's confident of the people who invested in us. You could look back and say, man, these people, there was a sincere faith living and growing in their lives. And those people did a good job when they were investing in me, when they were pouring into you, when they were making an impact on our lives. The faith that was in them is the faith that they were teaching us about. The way that they lived their lives was the way that they were teaching us to live our lives, Paul says. So we've got to remember. That's his encouragement. Memory leads to really strong faith. Sincere faith. Remember, he says. Remember, remember, remember. Four times in as many verses. The same word is occurring over and over again. Remember, recall, remind, remember. And when he's not saying it directly, he's kind of making us think back into the past about our ancestors, about our mother and our grandmother, about the way things used to be when, when our lives were on fire. Remember what it was like in God's story, he says. Remember what it was like when people were really pouring into you. Remember what it was like when you really started kind of believing in Jesus and what God started to do in that. Who God was and who you were. And Timothy is having a hard time. And he's having a hard time. We see it in the books um, and in some of these letters. Because he's trying to figure out how to be good at his job. And he's not sure how. He's trying to step into a leadership role in this little church plant he goes to in Ephesus. He's not quite sure what it means to talk about Jesus in a way that really changes lives. He's trying to figure out how to use his gifts and... He's dealing with a non-Christian political system and he's trying to be a witness in a world that doesn't always understand Jesus and isn't always interested in understanding Jesus. And there are all sorts of people in his city who, who would say that they are Christians, but they are talking about a very different Jesus. And so Timothy is dealing with this thing where he's watching people kind of go off the rails and saying, man, how am I, how am I supposed to be a witness in a world like this? And it's a struggle. It's a struggle personally and professionally. It's a struggle in the church and outside of the church, it's a struggle to know who he is. It's a struggle to be taken seriously. It's, it is hard. And Paul remembers this as he's writing to him, remembers his tears, he says. And yet he still seems so confident. 
so confident in Timothy because he knows the kind of people who've poured into his life. He says, I'm grateful to God whenever I remember you in my prayers, which is good to know, right, that, that you haven't been forgotten, that you're not alone. It's good to hear that somebody's thinking about you and praying about you, but uh, better to hear that there's a real God behind those prayers. Not just that our thoughts and prayers are with people, but that someone's actually listening to those prayers and moving and acting. And Paul is talking about his ancestors, these people who he remembers, men and women of God in this book, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Esther, and Ruth, and Miriam, remarkable men and women who trusted God and followed God in crazy circumstances. When it was ridiculous, when the odds were stacked against them, when it was going to be so hard to be faithful people, these people time and time again showed up. Time and time again, they risked their lives because of a sincere faith. And as Christians, we, we remember these people. We're connected to this story. It's one of the things that, that memory that breeds strong faith. We, we remember these stories. We stay connected to these people because they, they help us to see what life looks like when we're doing it well. And they also help us to see what life looks like when we're doing it really badly. Um, time and time again, when you read the Old Testament, the people of Israel forget who God is, which seems inexplicable because you will see miracles. And then they'll say something like, and the people forgot God. And you'll be reading it like, that happened like two sentences ago. Like, I would never forget it if God did something like that. But apparently we would because we see it again and again and again. The people forget God. And the people of Israel, when they are doing well, they remember who God is, what God has done in their story. They remember who they are. And when they're doing badly, they forget who God is and they forget their own identity and things go really badly. And eventually someone remembers. And that someone will cry out to God and they'll start reminding people. And those people will start crying out to God and boom, God acts with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. It's incredible. And the people find themselves following God again and seeing God move in their lives and, and feeling this kind of fire burn inside of them again. I'm grateful to God, Paul says, when I remember my ancestors, but when I remember you in my prayers. I'm grateful that the same God I have seen in the scriptures is moving in your life even now, whether you notice it or not. Remember that. It will create a strong faith in you. But not just these people in this story, but the people in your story, the people who've invested in you, who've been leaders in your lives. Your grandma, your mom. He says, these were the spiritual leaders in Timothy's house. Uh, his dad was... Around, We hear about this in a different book of the Bible, Acts 16. Um, Timothy's dad was somebody who did not uh, believe in God. He, he worshipped other gods. Uh, power and money and success. Um, career and status. These were really important. Um, but his mom and his grandma worshipped the God of Israel. And they were the spiritual leaders in his house. And it's a really good thing. I, I know of churches, and friends of mine are in churches, uh, who would say that women should not be leaders. They should not be leaders in the church. They should not be leaders uh, in the home. And we would disagree with that. And it would take a while to explain all of those things. So I'll kind of stick to uh, why we think women can be great leaders in the home. Uh, for one thing, we see lots of examples of that in Scripture. So it's a really biblical thing for us. We see women stepping up and doing remarkable things. And then we see men stepping up and doing remarkable things. And then these things are not mutually exclusive for us. And years ago, when my wife and I were first engaged, we had lots of couple showers and engagement showers, you know, the things that happened. And so we would go to these things, and, and afterward, people would corner us and give us advice, and it happened every time. It was really sweet. Uh, but it, inevitably, and this happened more than once, somebody would kind of come up to us, and uh, we would chat for a little bit, but then they would look at Jess, and they would say, you're going to have to let him be the leader. You're a strong person. 
And they would look at me and they'd say, you're going to have to be the leader in your house. She's a strong person. Watch out. And this happened more than once. And we would drive away from these moments. And I would, I would look at Jess and I'd say, it's like watching someone insult you with something I find attractive about you. Like, she's too pretty. Watch out. And you're like, why would that be a bad thing? You clearly think it's a bad thing. This is great. Like, it's, it's one of the things. That's why I'm, that's why I'm with this girl. I'm confused. Um, and she would say, but don't you think you should be the spiritual leader in our house? And I'd say, absolutely. I should be a spiritual leader in our house. I should push you. I should, I should be an example for you. I should challenge you. I should stand up and be somebody that people go, that is somebody who's trying to follow Jesus, a person of integrity and character who loves the Lord and is reading his Bible. For my children, for you, for people in our community. Absolutely. I expect you to do the same. I expect you to challenge me, to stand up, to push me, to say, hey, read your Bible. You are not waking up early enough. I expect you to be an example of integrity and character in our house, in our neighborhood. I want you to lead, and I'm going to lead. I'm not going to be the leader. We're going to be leaders together. We're going to lead in our house. We're going to lead in our community. That's what we're going to do together. And if you don't want to do that, I don't want to do this. And she says, no, I want to do that. I go, that's what I thought, which is why I'm so attracted to you. You are a remarkable and incredible person. I continue to learn from and be led by my wife on a regular basis. The Bible would point to this as a very healthy relationship model where people lead one another, where they are in a mutual relationship with one another. Secular counseling would say, you know what is a bad relationship? One in which one person always wins. Or one in which one person wins all the important arguments. It's just a really unhealthy relationship, by definition, regardless of who's winning. So we would say that women and men should be great spiritual leaders in the home, and leaders in the church. As, of course, these women become leaders in the church because they lead someone who leads in the church. But I don't know if Timothy's mom and grandma really think of themselves as leaders. Because I think sometimes you're kind of in the ordinariness of leadership. There's sometimes there are big moments in people's lives, but sometimes it's as simple as waking up every day and praying. Because it's good to pray for your kids. And every now and your kid, then your kids discover this, but that's not why you're doing it. So that they'll see you. You're doing it because it's worth praying for your children. I have been massively impacted by the consistency of my mom's life. I want to be that kind of person. I've been massively impacted by the consistency of great men and women in my life. I want to be that kind of person. I want to, to have the same kind of influence that I've seen in my life. I, I want to remember that and, and put that into practice. And Paul is calling for this in our lives. And there's some great women in the history of the church, uh, some great men in the history of the church, who I think would be good examples of this. But I'll, I'll talk about just two of them. So... Gregory of Nyssa and Basil of Caesarea, both saints in the church. In the earliest church, these people are geniuses. They are theologians. They love Jesus. They are incredible human beings. They are brilliant writers that people continue to read to this day. They are people whose names you might not know because you're not church historians. They are part of the reason you believe in the Trinity. They're part of the reason you believe in the divinity of Jesus, uh, that you believe that without that, our faith doesn't make any sense. These people are incredibly important in the life of the church. Things that we assume, things that we say, things that we believe all over the world. But those aren't the people I want to talk about. I want to talk about their mom. Actually, I want to talk about their grandma and their sister. Uh, their grandma was a woman named Macrina, And she was involved in the earliest church when the persecutions were still active. So this is a little old lady who survived their persecutions. Now, to be clear, by persecutions, I mean people being thrown to lions, ripped apart by dogs, being tortured and murdered and lit on fire. This is a sweet little old lady who made it through that, not by hiding, but by refusing to give up the name of Jesus. Pieces of her body were missing. She was scarred badly. 
and still she wouldn't give up the name of Jesus. She made a massive impact on the life of her grandchildren. Massive. Incredible human being. Her granddaughter, also named Macrina, for grandma, uh, she was a pretty ordinary person who was engaged to somebody who died. And when that happened, she kind of gave up a little bit on life, um, decided she was just going to kind of spend the rest of her life um, single and sort of secluded and read, read books. So she spent a lot of time reading the Psalms, and she tried to love women kind of just in her neighborhood who nobody really cared about. She'd take them into her house. And she cared about her brothers. That was kind of her sphere of influence, who she was going to care about. She did everything she could to love her brothers really well, uh, to make an impact on them. She convinced them not to go into secular jobs where they'd make a lot of money, convinced them to serve the church with their brains. And they did. They became these great saints and theologians. And Gregory wrote a book about his sister. He said there was this moment when she was on her deathbed. And we were talking, and I'm paraphrasing here. We were talking, and she said, I really do trust in Jesus. And she saw my eyes tear up, and she got mad at me. She's this frail person dying. And she sit up, she looked at me, and she said, Hey, we don't grieve as people who don't have any hope. You know what I know. We trust in a God of resurrection. And so Gregory, watching his sister die, goes, hmm, either I believe this or I don't. And he went from there to go and define right, what we believe about Jesus. These two women made a massive impact on the life of the church in little ways and in big ways. And we continue to kind of enjoy that legacy to this day. And when we remember it, we watch the ways that they have served us. And we become people who don't just remember, but we feel that memory creating a really strong faith in us. See, Paul says, I'm reminded of a sincere faith, a faith that I've seen alive in people who have invested in you and poured into you, your grandma and your mom. And now I'm sure that lives in you. And so I'm reminding you for this reason to rekindle the gift of God that is within you through the laying on of my hands. It's clear to us that Timothy might be struggling to believe that God can really use him in the world. And it could be that you are here today and you're struggling to believe that God can really use you in the world. I am sure that you have gifts for ministry, all of you. And you might be here and thinking, not so sure about that. Maybe he's talking to somebody else. Uh, and you can see me and you can go, that guy has gifts for ministry because he's standing where he's standing and he's doing what he's doing. And because I have gifts for ministry, I can say this confidently, you have gifts for ministry. Every single one of you. Some of you are gifted evangelists. You just don't know it yet. Because you've never tried. Because there's a risk and you're not quite sure exactly what to say. But if you found yourself sharing the story of Jesus, you would be surprised to find person after person after person coming to know the Lord. Some of you are not built to be evangelists. But you're incredible inviters. You just invite people all the time. Come and do life with me. Come and have dinner with me. Come to this Bible study I'm going to. Come to this church that I'm a part of. I know, I know, you're not a Christian, but come... Just come. Come hang out. Come do life with me. We love you. We want you in our lives. Some of you are incredibly gifted at spotting injustice in the world. You just have really good eyes to see it. And you were called to speak truth to power, which is a dangerous thing. But the church has always been involved in really dangerous things. And the church in America really needs some people who are willing to speak truth in power. People who are really willing to read this story and remember the God we actually talk about. And call out the church where it's not talking about the same God. Some of you are gifted with ears to hear. People who are really, really good at coming alongside people who are brokenhearted, who just need somebody to be with them. Some of you are gifted servants. You're willing to show up and be behind the scenes. Some of you are gifted at loving children in the world. 
And called probably to be foster parents and bring them into your house. Called maybe to come to this church and love those children over there, my children among them, to raise them up in a place where they would know these stories. Later in the book of 2 Timothy, we hear that Timothy grew up hearing these stories from these women who were strong in his life, who led him in remarkable ways. But you might be here and you might be hearing all this and thinking, okay, that's actually kind of true. And I do know that God has some of this stuff for me. And I've even seen God use me in that way. But if you're honest, you've probably seen some things kind of die in you over the years. Things have kind of, they were kind of burning brightly, but they've kind of died into embers. And Paul is saying to you, as he's saying to Timothy, it's time to rekindle those gifts. Time to fan them back into flame. Trying to bring that fire back to life the way that it once was. There was this camping and climbing trip I took some people on years ago. And uh, they were college kids, and college kids are dumb. Um, and if you're in college, it's true. Uh, college kids are dumb. It's just, it's true. I feel pretty confident in that. Um, other people are dumb too, but college kids. And so we went, we were out east of Phoenix, and we were going rock climbing, and uh, they, they showed up not prepared, uh, which is what happens. And so we were trying to set up tents. And it took a really long time, and it was really windy, so the tents were blowing away, and some people hadn't brought tents, despite having been told repeatedly to bring tents. And so by 1.30 in the morning, we'd managed to set up camp, and then a bunch of them threw all of our firewood into a fire pit. Not some of it to feed slowly, but they threw it all at once and lit it on fire. And so there was this raging fire nobody could get near to cook with, and it's 1.30 in the morning, and slowly people are falling asleep, and the fire's kind of dying down a little bit, so it's not too crazy, and I fell asleep. And I woke up about an hour and a half later, to this roaring sound. And it sounded like the wind from before. But I thought, that's not quite right. And so I rolled over, eyes closed, and it was really bright on my face. You know how it is sometimes? And I sort of cracked an eye a little bit. And I saw what looked like people dancing around a bonfire. And I thought, are you kidding? It, you have added wood to the fire, and you're dancing. It's three in the morning. What are you people doing? And so I sit up, and I'm rubbing my eyes, and I'm looking at the fire. And I realized that those aren't fun shouts, that, that's panic, and that they're running around a bonfire that apparently has grown up from these old embers. No one's added any more wood, but in the last hour and a half, wind has just been steadily blowing over the top of it, and it's cartoonishly large. Like, I can't really describe to you how terrifying in that moment it was to see a 25-foot jet of flame coming out of this tiny little fire pit, taller than the trees around us, licking the edge of all these plants, and I'm thinking, I, this is how I end up on the news. This is it, right here. <laughs> this, is, this is the scariest thing I've ever... The power and the, the danger of this fire when it had been fanned back into flame. You may have gone through some real crises in your life. There may have been some really good reasons to doubt God. You might have some things that you really hate about the church, and so it's been a long time since you followed Jesus and really seen those gifts in action, really throwing yourselves all into what God is doing. But I think it's time. I think it's time right now for you to own your identity as a person of influence, to own your identity as somebody who can invest in others, the way people have invested in you, the way people have invested in folks in this book. And there are plenty of people who make it into the Bible, not because of anything they actually did, but because of the people they raised up. People who end up in genealogies that no one wants to read, but their names are really important because of the people they gave birth to. And not always literally gave birth to, but the people they came around and influenced and, and impacted. People have invested in you, and the more you realize that, and the more you remember it, the more you start to realize what, what is active in you, even if it's not alive and fanned into flame. But if that really started to take off, that really started to grow in you and, and come back to life and burn brightly, you would find that you're a really dangerous person. That there's a real power inside of you, not because of anything you've ever done, but because of a power that came inside of you when you came to know Jesus. 
And people who really get in touch with that power, they find that they have a massive impact on the world in which we live. A massive impact on the people around us. You, my friends, are people of influence in this world. You have people all around you who are in desperate need of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You have gifts inside of you that need to be fanned back into flame. And a memory of that can create a really strong faith. The more you remember that, the stronger your faith can become, the more sincere it becomes. Remember. Remember the people who've invested in you. Remember the gifts that God has placed in your life. It's time to get to work. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for moms and dads. We thank you for spiritual moms and spiritual dads. We thank you for folks who've come alongside us who are in no way related to us just because they care. Because they loved you enough to love us. We pray, God, that we would be people who love you enough to love people out there in the world. We pray that our small church would make a real impact on our neighborhood and our community. On non-Christians in our lives who are in desperate need of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Of the poor in our city who are in desperate need of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Which sometimes looks like food and clothing and job training. We pray, God, for people in this school, for children who are just trying to learn math. We pray that we would somehow come alongside what they are doing, that we can impact the lives of generations. We pray for our children in the other room, Lord, and for the folks who have chosen to give up chunks of their Sunday because they care about raising up children in the church. God, we thank you for the people who have invested in us. We pray that we would remember them with gratitude. And God, that we would become people like that. And that you would let us see fruit in our lives. In the name of Jesus, amen.